Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to a West Coast Kramerica takeover. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. After a solid day, Dow gained 109 points. That's going to be advanced 0.22%. NASDAQ climbed 0.16%. What do we make of next week? It's an odd one. A week's worth of earnings spread over three days. Yes, it's Thanksgiving week. And while it tends to be a placid period these days, who the heck knows? That's why we're, we're starting the Monday portion of next week's game plan with a hope for breakthrough in the trade negotiations. Personally, I doubt we'll get one. But the market seems to be counting on it, hence the rally. Should I be more concerned? Let me tell you what does concern me. Memories of last year when Fed Chief Jay Powell was still going around talking about how strong the economy was, even though things had already started to slow down. Powell's rate hikes were doing the job, but he didn't know the strength of his own words or deeds, and he pressed too hard, throwing the economy and, of course, the stock market for a loop. What matters to me is that we don't get a repeat of last year. If Powell keeps his tight lip this time and pays attention to the data, we should be fine. So I don't think it's the end of the world if there's no breakthrough in the trade talks, but I recognize that people are getting a little too confident we're going to get a deal. The impression that a deal may be imminent doesn't come from here. It comes from the Chinese. Because so much of the mainstream media loathes Trump, they let the Chinese government control the narrative. I wish they'd be as skeptical of China as they are of the White House. Of course, a deal is always possible, but the longer the stock market stays up, the less likely it is that we'll get one. A strong market means President Trump has more leverage to hold out for better terms. Make no mistake, the president's paying close attention through his advisors to some of the more salient decisions companies are making about how much they should scale back the Chinese exposure. He thinks that the longer this trade war drags on, the worse it is for China and the better for the United States. He also knows that President Xi can't say the same thing. Although Xi's people have put out the word that the talks could be derailed if Trump says anything positive about democracy in Hong Kong. Now, there's some real irony here in, in, in the fact that so many commentators would rather back a repressive, totalitarian, communist regime than be seen as being on the same side as the president they view as repugnant. Either way, the deal or no deal conundrum and the state of play in this weekend's expected Hong Kong riots will determine the direction of the action Monday and maybe the rest of the week for that matter. Monday also brings some important earnings for a weak, uh, for a weak sector, which is retail, uh, and the other for a strong one, which is cybersecurity. To get a better read on retail, particularly the department store mall retail I'm talking about, let's listen to Manny Trico. He's the CEO of PVH, one of the largest apparel concerns in the world. You know that Miss Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger? When you hear about weakness in department stores, that often causes weakness in PVH's wholesale business. They've seen some real strength in Europe, though. But will that be enough? Enough to offset the mall? Let's find out. 
On the cybersecurity side, we hear from Palo Alto Networks, PANW. That's a firewall company with a hybrid on-premise and cloud business, with the latter aided by some big acquisitions of late. Are those deals coming together? They sure did last quarter, although I think you got to be really careful here. Last time, Palo Alto stock dropped precipitously after the headline numbers came out. Then it soared as we got more color. That's why I always tell you to wait for the conference call before you jump to any conclusions. Tuesday, we get results from Burlington stores. And as I like to say, if you want to succeed in retail, you either need a strong online presence or incredible bargains. As an off-price chain, Burlington has the latter. I think it is every bit as good as its compadre TJX, which reported a great quarter list, uh, earlier this week. We also hear from Dollar Tree, DLTR. And I expect a good quarter from them, too, as they continue to turn around the family dollar business that they bought. Now, I don't think the tariffs will get in the way of that, but people are always concerned. Then there's Best Buy, BBY, which will give us a good read on the holidays. I anticipate a pretty good quarter because Best Buy represents in-store value. Dick's Sporting Goods could produce some strong numbers, too. What I want to know about, I want to hear about how they're going to benefit from Nike's decision to stop selling its goods on Amazon. Tuesday is also a big day for old tech. We hear from Dell and HP Inc. after the close. Last quarter, they were both a little sluggish and their stocks sold off. I don't think Michael Dell will let that weakness continue. He's too good an operator. Meanwhile, HP is fighting this faux suitor, Xerox, which is too small to acquire I want to know how their actual business is doing. Remember that? Maybe the most exciting quarter will come from VMware, the cloud king that's recently regained his mojo, along with Splunk. Wow, what a quarter. I huh? see that stock today. Service now and Salesforce.com. Just like I predicted again and again, you got to go back to growth, people. The migration to the cloud is still in its early innings. We're maybe only 15% uh, of the way. You'll hear some companies later on talk about that, which gives all these companies an enormous amount of runway. Very positive. We get results from Hormel, the food company best known for spam. And this stock has always worked its way back to its old highs. I keep thinking about America's new love affair with spam. Hey, there's no accounting for taste, but the profits could be there. Last but not least, we hear from ADI, Analog Devices. All we get here in Silicon Valley, we've listened to semiconductor CEOs talk about robust growth. Analog Devices is an Internet of Things IoT chipmaker, one that's linked to the weekend end markets of manufacturing because of the trade war and autos, more than traditional tech infrastructure or cell phones. The stock's been orderly gloomy and sanguine based on the progress of the trade talks more than its actual fundamentals. Finally, Deere reports Wednesday. Wednesday morning. Now, here's one of those stocks, and we have a bunch of them, where it doesn't even matter what they say. Wall Street seems to love Deere no matter what. Why is that? Because the trade war is a win-win situation for Deere. Either we get a deal and our farmers get lots of orders, or we get no deal, that business goes to Brazil, and our farmers get bailed out by the government because we're heading into an election year. Either way, Deere's customers will have the money to buy new equipment. Initially, the stock tends to trade down after earnings because the, the automated machines that generate the headlines for these stories aren't very good at writing them. They'll say something like, Deer cuts forecast. Then the conference call begins. Deer tells a great story, and the stock gets bought. I wish there were more to it. There isn't. It's that simple. Also, uh, after Wednesday, we eat turkey. And on Friday, we eat leftovers, knowing there's an unwritten rule that nothing important is supposed to occur on Wall Street. Bottom line. Will the president slaughter a turkey this year or slaughter the market? I bet he goes for the former. Let's take some calls. Let's go to Mike in Kentucky. Mike. A big Kentucky bourbon booyah to you, Jim. This is Mike. All right, Mike, let's go to work. All right. I wanted to ask your opinion about Intelsat, symbol I. I bought it Tuesday on a big drop. It rebounded a quick 10%, and it's traded sideways the last two days. 
This company has an odd 5G play around it with the auctioning off of bandwidth by the federal government. My question is, do you like this stock for a slightly longer hold or should I sell and take my profit? Man, I got it. This stock is down 66% in one of the greatest markets of my lifetime. I have to tell you, we're going to have to do some work on letter I, the old first interstate, by the way, which we owned when it got a takeover bid, but that was about 30 years ago. So let me do some work on Intelsat, and I have to come back. I wish I knew it better. Let's go to Keith in Illinois. Keith. Hey, Jim. Love you. Love your show. And really, any show you're on, man. Oh, thanks a lot, buddy. Cool. All right, so Virgin Galactic Holdings, SPCE, has been rocketing down about 40% since it became available to the public. Being the first of its of its kind in the sector, is now the time to jump in before it takes off? And if so, for how long? I, I don't know if it's going to take off. It was one of the most hyped, ridiculous... Um, I, I was very disappointed that everybody coalesced to be able to say something good about this thing. I am not a believer in Virgin Galactic. I hope one day that we all go to Mars, maybe even Jupiter. I don't care. I don't want to own this stock. Let's go to Bill in Oregon. Bill! Uh, booyah, Jim. This is Bill from uh, Eugene, Oregon, home of the Fighting Ducks. Exactly right. What's How up? you do uh, for growth stock investing. My question is on Chipotle. And uh, I recently read that the stores are all uh, company-owned. Right. Could you speak to the risks versus the rewards of this? I, I think they run such a tight ship that it's actually not that risky. I like the franchise model. I like everything that's run well. And Chipotle's run well, which is why I think it is a... That's three times two. That makes six buys. All right. Next week is historically a placid week, uh, uh, but let's hope it stays that way. On Mad Money tonight from our last night at CNBC's One Market... Clorox has had a bit of a rough patch this quarter, but can the company clean itself up? <laughs> then, I'm talking with the CEO. And how could the uh, news of potential Charles Schwab TD Ameritrade tie-up impact a private company like SoFi? Don't miss my exclusive. And looking for a cloud coverage in an uncertain market? You know what? The group may be moving higher this week. I'm eyeing one under-the-radar player that's been the talk of the town because of voice. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC. As we close out our week in San Francisco, I want to check in on one more household name that calls the Bay Area home, and it's Clorox. The last couple months, 
rough for this iconic consumer products company. Last month, Clorox lowered its full-year forecast at an analyst event. Then a few weeks later, they reported what was widely considered to be a disappointing quarter. Culprit? Companies facing intense competition from bargain brands, private label, while it deals with some business lines that frankly have slowed or even become saturated. In response, the stock's fallen from 166 over the summer to 146 today, where it has a 2.9% yield. So we have to ask ourselves, has Clorox been punished enough? Let's take a closer look with Ben O'Dora, the chairman and CEO of Clorox, who just celebrated five years at the helm to get a better read on where his company's headed. Mr. Dora, welcome back to Mad Money. Benno, you've done a remarkable job, but you started this most recent call with, we are not satisfied with our top line results. You've never ducked any question. Tell us how you're going to get things moving again from the top line. Yeah, so Q1 was not our strongest quarter, clearly, as we're managing through challenges on two businesses. But what we're saying is that we're still on track with our fiscal year objectives and that we're projecting growth that is more the type of growth that you used from us and that we expect from ourselves in the back half. The key to getting that growth is innovation. We have a very strong set of innovations across most of the portfolio in the back half, and that's how we'll bring growth back. Okay, now you just say, listen, it really comes down to Coal and trash. Explain that to people, because if you can fix coal and trash, you can fix bags, if you can fix charcoal, I think that we would see a different company a year from now. Yeah, that's correct. So, you know, two, two businesses that have been struggling, we're seeing a lot of strength. Three out of the four segments are growing right. margin, are growing volume. But coal and glad are two businesses in our household segments that haven't done as well. Why is that? we're seeing some distribution losses post-pricing. We've taken price increases, and retailers didn't necessarily like it, and competitors didn't consistently follow. And that's created weakness in the business that we're addressing. How are we addressing it? We're lowering the price gaps towards competition. Uh, That's been working on GLAD. We're seeing GLAD pick up. Green shoots on GLAD. Green shoots on GLAD. And we're putting better business plans in place on Kingsford for the 2020 grilling season. Kingsford's now growing again in consumption. And then, like I said, we're going to back it up with innovation on both businesses in the back half. Both businesses fundamentally are very solid. They deliver superior value to consumers. They... Uh, are backed by strong innovation, and they're generally loved, which is why they're the market leaders in their category. So we're confident we're going to get those back. I mean, sometimes I think that you've got brands, and when we talk about Burt's Bees, this is, I think, one of the fastest growing, particularly among millennials because of the labels. and this. Do you need some of these other businesses because you've got some businesses that are so on fire that yeah. I kind of want to own those businesses? We love our portfolio, and, you know, having a diverse portfolio is a strength. And I will tell you that there's always one or two businesses, uh, we're in 13 major categories, that aren't doing less well. And right now, it's uh, uh, Kingsford and Glad. Last year was Brita. Two years, it was Litter. But we know how to turn those businesses around. Burt's Bees, in particular, has been on a tear for a long time. 19 consecutive quarters of share growth, grew double digits last quarter. And it's one of those businesses where we're applying the Clorox innovation engine very effectively. And we have a lot of innovation coming out, if I may just uh, Sure, point, please. Um, at one of them, this is something I'm uh, really excited about. This is our renewal line. Uh, retinol is a very hot ingredient, yes. but retinol is harsh and retinol is synthetic. We have in this line a natural alternative to retinol without the harshness and uh, it really? works as well. So this is one that we love. And then, of course, you know, this is uh, hemp. 
uh, a, a new line that mm -hmm. uh, has hemp seed oil that is known for its uh, hydration uh, qualities. Right. And we have a body lotion, we have a lip balm, and we will have a hand cream. And we think that that's a very on-trend and natural extension to our bird bees line. So we expect a lot of uh, growth to keep will, coming out will on you, bird Will uh, you advertise online for those? I mean, you think that's a Facebook, uh, Google, Amazon kind of thing. I'd like to see that. It is. You know, one of the things we're saying is that we're devoting ourselves to purpose-driven right. uh, brands that we're going to market in a personalized way. So marketing online is something that we know very well. We're the only company, I think, in our space that spends the majority of their advertising yes. and sales promotion dollars online. Last fiscal year, 55%. The ROIs is what drives that. We're getting right. particularly good returns, and Burt's Bees is one where consumers are online, so we're following there. I'm seeing something here, uh, compostable wipes. Wipes uh -huh. have been an unbelievable category. Uh, you're the only company I know that actually, it, you better do ESG as an exec yeah. as part of your compensation. Is that what's driving these kinds of things is you've got people thinking, listen, in order to be able to move up in Clorox, I have to do something good for the environment. We think that doing something good for the planet is also good for business, which is why uh, with our new strategy, Ignite, which leads us through 2025 and which we've just kicked off last month, we're going to make a double down effort on sustainability. Um, and this is the first one out. We've made a very bold goal that we want to reduce the virgin plastic mm -hmm. and fiber that we use in our products and packaging by 50% uh, over the next uh, 10 years. And compostable wipes is one that consumers love. 65% of consumers want a compostable uh, right. uh, wipe. Absolutely. More than 60% of consumers want a better alternative that is more sustainable in wipes. And this is the very first wipe that's uh, uh, being introduced right now. And we're excited about the initial reaction that we get from retailers. Disinfecting wipes is a very important mm -hmm. uh, business for us. Fabulous uh, business, it is right? a fabulous business. It's the fastest growing business in home care. We are the market leader and we're nurturing it with innovation like this. Uh, last question. Uh, will we, uh, because I'm, I'm somewhat nervous to say this, but you got that three, you're down back yielding at 3%, okay, because the stocks come down. Mm -hmm. But your dividend has been remarkable. You keep raising and raising. I know it's up to the board, but should we expect that to continue even if two business lines have been, have been troubled? Yes, absolutely. We have increased our dividends every year since 1977, and we expect that to continue. That's something that our investors expect from yes. us. Uh, we deliver very strong cash flow, and we put that cash flow to work, either by investing in the business or by returning it uh, to shareholders. And a dividend, of course, is a very attractive way of doing so. And that's why you have the best total shareholder return and why I believe in you from day one. Thank and it's you. Been every, every decline in the stock price has been the opportunity to buy, and this one's no different. That's Ben O'Dory's chairman and CEO of Clorox. New products, fixing these categories. It's going to work. Man, buddy, back here for the break. Whenever you come out here to San Francisco, you know I like to look in on the privately held companies that are shaking up entire industries, disrupting industries. Companies like SoFi, that's the personalized online banking play. It's gotten so big, you know what? They're about to have a football stadium named after them in Los Angeles. SoFi recognized the traditional banks weren't fully harnessing the power of the web to connect with their customers. So they built a whole business around the idea, and now it is worth $4.3 billion as of their latest fundraising round. So let's dig deeper with Anthony Noto, the CEO of SoFi and a longtime friend of the show. Anthony, welcome back to Mad Money. 
Anthony, SoFi's come a long way since you've come in. And I think, really, the naming rights is a very significant event for where SoFi is right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's been almost two years since I joined the company. And a year ago, we were primarily a desktop company in two loans. Now we're a mobile-first company, member-focused. We have a complete suite of financial services products. So we have SoFi Money, which is a high-interest-paying account where you can pay your bills, pay your friends. You can spend with a debit card. You can spend with Apple uh, Pay or uh, Samsung Pay or Google Wallet. We also have SoFi Invest, which is the ability to buy stocks without mm-hmm. commissions. You can buy ETFs. We have four of our own ETFs specifically focused on millennials and Gen Z. You also can buy cryptocurrency and robo-advisory. Well, this is, but the, I think the crowning achievement is to, is to actually, it was a brilliant idea to take the stadium for the Chargers and the Rams to be like uh, a, a long game. You're playing a long game. We are playing a long game. And so now that we have this complete set of financial products, we have to build awareness of them right. and become a household name. And the stadium is a great platform for us to partner with an iconic brand like right. the National Football League, but also all the other events that will be there. The World Cup will be there, the Olympics, a couple of Super Bowls. Obviously, if the teams make the playoffs, um, there are a number of other major events, college football, national championship. So we want to be part of this iconic destination for live sports and entertainment, and that will help us build awareness, build Build trust and become a household name. So all of these products are used by um, all of the great Americans that deserve to have them. Millennials love your product. We have about about nine hundred thousand. We, now? we have uh, over 900,000 right. accounts. We have just about 9 million registered users. Um, we introduced SoFi Money and SoFi Invest in the spring. They've done incredibly well. We've driven great innovation for millennials and Gen Zs, giving them real products and offerings they wouldn't otherwise have. Things like fractional shares, these unique ETFs that give them diversification at a low price point. Um, and also we've introduced uh, home loans as well as in-school lending now, not just student loan refinancing. Would it matter if a, a Democrat swept the house from these Democrats and they got rid of student loans? At the end of the day, we're helping people achieve financial independence, which means they have enough money to do what they want. Regardless of what the regulatory environment is or what the rules are, people still have a need to get their money right, and that's what we're focused on, helping them get their borrowing right, savings, spending, investing, and protecting. And that's a complete portfolio of, of services including free financial advice through our certified financial planners and career advice with a partnership we have with Corn Ferry. So the regulatory world is going to change, but ultimately the needs of the consumer remain the same. Now, were you surprised about these rumors about uh, possibly uh, Schwab and Ameritrade uh, tying up? Because outfits like you that don't charge commission are really driving the world now. We assume there's going to be a fair amount of consolidation. The financial service industry really hasn't had the type of innovation that you've seen in e-commerce, you've seen in online travel. And just in this year, we launched products that have never been brought to the market before. The ability to buy $1 of Amazon, if you wanted to buy a share of Amazon today, I think it was over $1,700. We noticed that our users were buying stocks that are less than $10. You mentioned they were buying Ford and We don't want that. Look, GE is making a turn. Yeah. Ford could be good, right? But they, you know, they should be buying growth. What did you teach us? Buy yeah. growth, but they can't afford growth because these guys won't split their stocks anymore. So the insight that we had is when we first launched SoFi Invest, we saw the two most popular stocks being less than ten dollars, and they weren't high growth stocks, right. and they certainly weren't brands that millennials and Gen Z are familiar with. And so that's what led us to leave uh, to launch fractional. Are people in, are people understanding that they can buy a fraction of Apple and buy a fraction of of Google? Are they doing it? They understand they can buy one dial, dollar of Apple. One dollar of Amazon. Are they doing Google, it? They are. In fact, fifty percent of the first-time trades of our new users are using fractional shares to make their first investments. And now, the most popular stock in the platform is Amazon, which is over seven hundred dollars. Then you did it. 
You did it because it's been, I've tried to get these CEOs to realize they have to split the stock. But you know, for the commission business, they want to pay fewer commissions, which means they actually believe that you can get retail investors pay $1,700. They're failing in their mission. So you have to take, you have to take it upon yourself to, to, to win. The most interesting thing that's happened since we've done that is we've seen the changing of the most popular stocks. But we've also allowed people to buy something like Berkshire Hathaway, right. which is really challenging to buy given its price point at $1. Are you surprised well. that millennials suddenly have uh, discovered the stock market when we thought that all they cared about was was cash and gig economy and trying to make ends meet? I'm not surprised. What I think has made a difference for them is we're giving them access to investing. Right. And it's imperative they invest in their 20s or it's really hard to catch up later in life. And so giving them more accessible products like $10 ETFs for a 500 share ETF right. that's broadly diversified or ability to buy a stock at $1 at a time uh, has really made a difference in the growth. And we've seen tremendous growth, not just in number of users for SoFi Invest, but also assets that they're investing and then also buying our other products. So they're becoming multi-product customers after they join the platform. Now, are you still, uh, how much of your business is still the student loan business? Because it was so such an important business at one point. Yeah, the majority of our revenue is still student loan it business. Is. Because that's where we make most of our revenue. The other products are early days. They are driving small amounts of revenue, but have scaled really significantly in users. And so you could see us by a year from now being 50-50 in terms of the number of non-lending members versus lending members. Are any of the older banks getting good at uh, trying to get your youthful cohort? I know Bank of America's got a really good app. It's got a all sorts of people. Uh, Goldman teams up with the Apple card. That had to surprise you. You worked at Goldman. You know, we're looking at what the member needs and try to uniquely meet their needs. So we're aware of all the other options that are out there. And we're trying to make sure what we put in the marketplace is differentiated for the members' needs. And having a complete suite of products on one app, on one technology platform, and treating people like members has really made a difference. So it is still the, the member idea, which I Mr. Cagney first introduced me to, was one that I thought was he was doing socials and trying to get people together. It, it, are you doing a little more traditional banking, fewer socials? Yeah, we approach it slightly different than yeah. that. We approach it from the standpoint is what does this person need to get their money right? And then we build out from there. We don't ask, is this a good business? We ask, okay. is this a product and service that they need? And we don't just offer the you products. You're working what the customer wants. We're focused on what the member wants and not, ju- not, not, <laughs> not just what comes to them traditionally, but what they need specifically for their generation and for their lifetime. Well, you've really, in the time since you've gotten there and left Twitter, it's a real company, and i got to congratulate you for everything, but I knew you'd do it. We've had a lot of fun. This is our record quarter. We grew over 55% in the top line, um, great run rate in revenue, and really seeing great adoption of the new and products. And you are in the discussion in the East when I talk to banks now. It's very interesting. Well, you know, but SoFi's got it. We're okay, Jim. We're okay. I love it when they say, but we're okay. You've done it. We'll keep running faster. You Thank I you, Jim. You That's Anthony Dodo. He's the CEO of SoFi. Mad Money is back after the break. After spending months lost in the wilderness, the cloud stocks have finally gotten their momentum back. But some of them held up the whole time, held up a lot better when the group was going down. Like Take 5.9, the company that provides cloud-based software for contact centers, helping its clients improve customer engagement. The theme I've been focused on all week. Earlier this month, 5.9, and that is F-I-V-E-9, like the number, reported a fantastic quarter. And then followed it up with a bullish analyst day to the point where the stock is once again making new highs. Hey, could this thing have more room to run? Let's check in with Rowan Trollop. He is the CEO of Five Nine. Learn more about why his company's thriving in an environment where others are faltering. Mr. Trollop, welcome back to Mad Money. All right, Rowan, what is an intelligent cloud contact center? 
So it's software that's in the cloud. So it's a website where your age, businesses can have agents that talk to customers. And that's talking on the phone or, say, messaging on a website or SMS or whatever. So we're basically the, the pointy end of the spear when it comes to how a company connects with their customers. So if I call someone uh, at, at an organization that's, that's yours, they can call up my record and know what I've done and where I've done it instead of being clueless and just putting me on hold. Exactly. So as soon as you call in, they get the full 360 view of who you are and what you've bought and when you called last. And so they can treat you like a human being and not like a number. All right. So we've got the holidays coming up, got Black Friday coming up, got a lot of places where there's a lot of calls. Yeah. Uh, Typically, we're ready to be on hold, but we'll go to another place now. How about if we pick up an outfit that uses 5.9? Yeah, exactly. So Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Huge spikes in retail, and cloud is perfectly suited to these kind of environments where you have massive call volume spikes. So Lululemon is one of our great customers, and you've talked about them on sure, the show. Sure, I love them. They, uh, they have got a really, really awesome uh, configuration on their website where if you go on their website and you're trying to buy something, they can chat to you. Uh, or if you, if you call in, you have a return or a question mm-hmm. about a product, it's all using our software. And they will scale up and down uh, by hundreds of agents in one day. And we can do that literally within an hour. They can add hundreds of agents. So it's Oracle provides the CRM side, and 5.9 provides the engagement and uh, communication side. Okay, when I go to your website, uh, I learn that there are companies with a legacy, expensive, on-premises system. And I said to myself, how can any company still have that? 90% of companies still have. But that's impossible. Hardware sitting in closets. And, and it's super hard to up. It's super hard to maintain and keep working, which is why a lot of times you'll call in, you'll get disconnected, you right. have bad experiences. That's what we fix. It's a website. You push all of that complexity into the cloud, and we handle it and make it easy for you. Now, one of the things I've noticed is that during this whole uh, era of new companies, some companies have decided the more money they lose, the better. Other companies lose sight of the fact that cash flow matters, uh, and still others seem to have no real path to profitability. Your stock hit an all-time high when many of these others were cratering. What distinguishes you, and is it about caring about things like cash flow, caring about things like a path to profitability? Yeah, my CFO, Barry, likes to say that you know we're a little bit old-fashioned and we like it that way. We, we look at things like cash flow as other companies think that they're quaint. We pay a lot of attention to it. We'll, in Q4, we've committed to the street, we'll be at 20% EBITDA margin, and we are cash flow positive. So the company is... Uh, grown responsibly. We're in this for the, the long haul, Jim, and that means that we need to have a responsible growth path for the company. We're still growing fast. It's still growing last quarter 28%. Right. Right. But it's not a growth at all cost strategy at all. So we're quite different than a lot of Silicon Valley companies in that it's this responsible and digestible growth story. Now, are there, when I look at what you guys are doing in terms of the cloud penetration, I have to tell you, I'm astonished that it is so little. A lot of people tell me, Jim, you interview all these cloud companies. It's got to be much further along. I'm trying to figure out how you can survive as a retailer and not use you these days. You know, you really can. And we're increasingly, we're we're, we're doing surveys and talking to customers. I mean, 84% of uh, customers say that the experience you deliver is as important, if not more important, than the product or service that you're delivering. So that, that's big. And, and by the way, it's much more important with, for millennials than it is for boomers, who I think people who are older have a different expectation of, like, I know I'm going to have a bad experience, Absolutely. but millennials are saying, you know what, and, and, and even Gen Z, hey, that experience is super important. And so companies are starting to come to that realization. They've got to upgrade this stuff. So even though cloud is only 10% penetrated, right. 
it's accelerating. And so I think we're going to now go through, you know, over the next decade, a transition of this technology uh, from the on-premises to the cloud world. All right. Now, one of the things that you talk about on your site is predictive dialing. So I think that's a great idea, but I also worry about spam. I worry about whether uh, your uh, robocalls and whether you're, if you're doing predictive dialing, if your customer's doing predictive dialing, they're going to start bothering me. Absolutely. And we don't do that at all. We're the, the most conservative company out here. We, we focus almost exclusively on inbound, and we do allow our customers to do outbound, but we don't allow for anything close to what you would call robocalling or, you know, where but you basically tell them But how can you police that so that they Oh, we, we, we police it. We've, we've configured our system uh, and actually worked with the FCC and others to basically say, look, here's, here's the gold standard. We're considered the gold standard in this area of okay. making sure that we don't allow anybody like that onto our system. And uh, some customers of ours, like a great example is Signify Health. They do do outbound calls. They're a very, very innovative uh, healthcare company, and they are calling out and d- getting doctors and nurses to show up at customers' homes, but they're doing it one number at a time. So they're not banging a whole bunch of numbers to try and do telemarketing. This is very, very, very targeted outbound is what our customers And I like you using the voice escalation. You were at Salesforce with the Einstein bots. Yeah, you, no, voice was a big deal at Dreamforce. This yeah, time. voice was the, I, I think that was the theme. Think, yeah. And you guys were a major part of it. That's were. Rowan Trollop. He's the CEO of Five9. Guys, this stock actually hit a high when many of these stocks were cratering. And you heard why. Great growth and conservative use of their cash. Mid Money's back after the break. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Let's go with Ramesh in North Carolina. Ramesh. Hi, Jim. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I just well, I just had one question on Tesla. Like, is that a good buy at this level? Well, I just, it just ran about 40 points at about the pickup truck. It's given back about 20. I think you, if you really do want to buy it, I'm not going to necessarily recommend buying it. You wait another, another 10, 15 points down, and then maybe take a look. Let's go to Nick in Maryland. Nick. Hey, buddy, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Hey, um, uh, two-part question. Dunkin' Donuts, do you like it, and is now a good time to get in? Um, actually, I prefer Starbucks at Dunkin' Donuts. Starbucks is way down from its high, and I think it's got more uh, momentum and uh, has gotten too cheap, so that's one I prefer. Let's go to Allen in Colorado. Allen. Hey, greetings from snowy Denver. Oh, I didn't know snow there. Good to have you. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, my question is about Lamb Research. It's been a, a great but volatile investment over the last 20 years. Oh, Going it's been crazy. But you know what? We're up about uh, about eight points for the Travel Trust. Uh, it's given that, well, we, we did trim back a lot because it, we didn't want to be pigs. Bulls make money, bears make money, and pigs, they get slaughtered. Uh, I would wait a little bit before I would buy more. I don't know. Maybe it goes down to 240. It's been very volatile, as you said. Let's go to Albert in Florida. Albert! Hey, old buddy. Booyah to hey, you. Booyah. I've been watching you since you were on with Kramer. I mean, Cutler. Recording yeah. the shows every night. I have to thank you. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Listen, you recommended a 5G play a while back, and I bought a small position in Marvel. Yes. 
What do you I think? think I think the world of this company will. Is this quarter necessarily going to be good? I mean, it's caught up in the trade talks. But who has an unbelievable portfolio of 5G along with a lot of other things that make cell phones work better? It is Marvell. Very big position for my travel trust. You can follow along at ActionAlertsPlus.com by joining the club. And I think you'll find that MRVL remains one of the better names in technology. Your John in Missouri. John. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. Well, thank you. Thank you for everything you do for the home gamer. I would oh, like you. to get your thoughts on a biotech, Cura Oncology, ticker K-U-R-A. Look, it's got personalized treatments for... Uh, uh, cancer and anyone who's doing personal immunology, I have liked as a spec and a spec only. Let's go to Deborah in Ohio. Deborah, hi Jim, I just love you, and oh, I also well, wanted you, to know Deborah. I joined your club and I love your club and recommend it to all your viewers. Ah, uh, you're My- terrific. Thank you so much for being a part uh, of it. Thank you. My stock is NetEase, symbol N T E S. You know what? This is uh, it's a Chinese internet play. Uh, that I have been skeptical on and not correctly skeptical. And uh, so, therefore, I'm going to have to say it's not you. Look, you're a member of the club. You know I don't ever go beyond my uh, range of thought. And this one is a befuddling stock to me about why it goes up. In fact, it has good dividend. And let's go to Dustin in Arizona. Dustin. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. Hey, my friend, I'd love to hear your advice on buy, sell, or hold on Ulta. I, I think Ulta's been beaten up enough. I know a lot of people feel that last quarter wasn't that good, and there are some problems definitely in skincare. We know that, but I want to. I believe in Mary Dillon. I wouldn't buy all of it at once because I do think that uh, they're going to report in a couple of weeks, and there's still possibility that it won't be a blowout quarter, but they got a great loyalty program, and they're doing so many good things. I'm not deserting Ulta. Jim in Massachusetts. Jim. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Here's a great weekend. Booyah to you. My stock is $2 off. It's 52-week low. And there's several buy recommendations. It's CareDX CDNA. Yeah, that's a diagnostic surveillance company. I don't. I tell you, it's, it's too risky for me. It just doesn't have what I want to see in even a spec. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. we come out here for Salesforce's Dreamforce Conference, which is a fantastic expo for how their technology is changing all sorts of industries. But there's something else I love about this conference. We get to hear about Salesforce's philanthropy. This company is one of the best there is when it comes to giving back to the community. And I think it's worth remembering that businesses can do more than make money. Now, earlier this week, we had a chance to sit down with Ebony Beckwith. She's Salesforce.org's chief philanthropy officer and executive vice president for marketing. Take a look. Ebony, you are at the forefront of doing things that are charitable. uh, And it seems like that Dreamforce is a great place to be able to show off some of the things you're doing. So why don't you just run down? Because you're way ahead of the game as always. Well, you know, I'm so excited you asked me about Dreamforce. We are we have four amazing jam-packed days full of content. We have over 170,000 people at Dreamforce, 2,700 sessions. We want everybody to go to every single one of them. <laughs> but no, you know, we believe that business is the greatest platform for change, and Dreamforce is a great big platform where we can amplify some of our messages, and we love that we can really um, infuse our corporate culture of giving back um, into right. the spirit of Dreamforce. So we have a lot of things and initiatives that we're doing at Dreamforce. It, it seems like you've got a, a focus, say, on uh, 
on leadership and also on kids. Yes. Uh, I love the idea that kids should not be intimidated by coding. Absolutely. I love the idea of trying to bring along the next generation of leaders. These projects, are they, uh, are they dated? They're something that's going to be three, uh, 365 days a year and you're trying to recruit people to be involved in it now? Well, education is one of our major focuses at Salesforce in our our philanthropic work. And so that doesn't just stop, you know, at Dreamforce. We we extend that programming to Dreamforce. So we have over 750 kids from the Bay Area coming to Dreamforce. My big vision is to have a Dreamforce for kids. That's a few years out, though. Um, But it started a year ago, and we're, we're now evolving that to, you know, like I said, the 750 kids coming, we have 250 from San Francisco and Oakland middle schools. And every day they're doing uh, kids coding and programming using AI and um, machine learning and all kinds of amazing things. We have about 450 adults, young adults coming from workforce development programs. These are our future leaders and you can't be what you can't see. So we invite them to Dreamforce so they can interact and network with CEOs and leaders in the Bay Area. We've seen so many amazing connections happen between young people and and current leaders, people getting jobs, people getting internships. It's been really amazing and learning about our technology. What do you think about the idea of... uh that someone might say, you know what, that's really the government's job. I don't know why Salesforce is doing that. <laughs> Salesforce is supposed to be making money for the shareholders. It's everyone's job. You know, we care about shareholders and our stakeholders. You know, so when we think about who our stakeholders are, when we look at it, when you look around at your community, those are the schools. Those are the homeless. Those are, you know, every constituent, every person, you know, in their community is a part of our, our share, our stakeholder community. So we really try to bring them all in every day in our work. It does seem that the rest of the business world is starting to come around. It's great. Uh, business round table <laughs> saying yes. How much, we call, I call it greenwashing when it comes to the environment, sustainability. People say, you know what, uh, sustainable, we're really sustainable, and they come up with some greenwashing term. Uh, I find that when you talk about sustainability, you've got some hard facts of what people need to be able to do, right? It's not just, it's not touchy-feely. It's not amorphous. (laughs) No, you know, and that's, and actually, we are committed to the UN Sustainable Development Goals, and these are, these are the world's to-do list for the people and the planet by 2030. And so we are really amplifying that message at Dreamforce. We want to build awareness uh, for our attendees so that they can contribute. So, for example, SDG number four around quality education, or SDG number eight around decent and economic work or 11, which is about sustainable cities. We want everyone to get involved and learn about them so they can personally think about what they do, what what they can do to accelerate and achieve the goals and then take it back to their companies. You know, because philanthropy is not a competitive sport. It is collaborative. So we want we want the business roundtable and folks to be talking about it because we can do more together. Okay, so let's say there's some executives that are uh, thinking about what their company isn't doing, or some younger people who are forming a company, and right now don't think you think it's too early. Although Mark told us that's exactly when you do it. What's your instructions? Then do you hire a lawyer? Is there a handbook? I, a lot of companies always say, "Hey Jim, I'd love to be more philanthropic." Don't know how to do it. We have this amazing website called pledge1percent.org. There is the playbook. We we have all of our tools to get started, whether you want to give 1% of your time, 1% of your equity, 1% of your product, whatever it is. And you can start wherever you are. If you start with zero and you give 1%, it's great. You know, what Mark always says, you know, we started when we had nothing. It was very easy to do. But you can also be, you know, a Fortune 500 or 100 company and just... Ask your people. Like, your people will tell you what's important to them. That's what we do at Salesforce. We give our employees seven paid days off to volunteer to the cause that they're passionate about. 
and they make such an amazing impact around the world. How do you monitor the 1% of Salesforce time of the product? We have a product for that. <laughs> so we, Can, is it, we is drink it white label? Champagne. Can other companies use it? We do. It's called Philanthropy Cloud, um, available for, for people. So we realize that we, we use our own uh, software and our own product for so many years. Right. But then we realize, and we'd go show people how I run my business, how I right. monitor philanthropy. They're like, well, we want that too. So last year it went, it became available. So it's Mark, an amazing product. Mark makes it very difficult <laughs> to say no. I mean, there are so, he answers the objections to people who want to give money well ahead ahead of their objections. And a lot of people like you who just kind of make it as a, it's a ritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't want to work. If I were to start, I wouldn't want to at a com- work at a company that didn't have someone like you who is saying, look, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. And if you don't share that goal, work elsewhere, I guess, right? And, and it's a real differentiator. You know, we work in an industry that's extremely competitive. Right. And so when you have programs like this that allow people not only to give back um, and also to use their, you know, their... their skills, mm-hmm. you know, you get the best of, the, of both worlds. So I love, I love that I can go volunteer, you know, on a Wednesday and work on Thursday. Well, it's great. <laughs> I don't know, if I started over again, I would be, this is exactly the way I'd do it. I came from the other school. We'd work for 50 years and then maybe do something good. No, do yeah. something good now. Do, yeah, why wait? Uh, why wait? We see more productive teams. We see retention rates increase. We see that people want to come to our company because they want to be a part of our culture. It's contagious. Giving back is contagious. You feel good. I like that. (laughs) And we know that doing well and doing good go hand in hand. So true. Okay, that is Ebony Beckwith. She's the EVP and Marketing and Chief Philanthropy Officer at Salesforce.org. You just heard how easy they make it. Executives out there are watching. I don't know. You're running out of excuses. Go do it. Thank you. Thank you. Two stocks I'm impressed with, one Clorox, I think it actually may be bottoming 3%, and also Nordstrom last night reported a very good quarter. A lot of this was rock. I think it's for real. I want to take a moment out to thank everyone here at One Market, this fabulous bureau that we've got. Everyone's incredibly supportive, or it would not be able to work because it's not easy when we parachute in for a week for Salesforce and just kind of create tremendous mayhem. But you know what? We get so much out of it. So thank you, everyone. And I have to tell you that I thought that Benioff and what he was doing this week at Salesforce is so inclusive and so sustainable and so good for so many different stakeholders, not just the shareholders, that it is a joy to be out here, the oldest stakeholder being the planet. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. Promise just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.